while I was away. Um, it was great to hear uh, hear God's word taught. I, I suppose that's, that's something I don't get to, to do very often um, because uh, normally I'm doing it or often I'm doing it. Uh, so it was brilliant to hear uh, Mark and Monty, Richie and Peter just bringing us week by week more of, of the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've had a chance to be here much over the summer or to hear the the sermons that you missed. If you haven't, go, go back and hear those on the internet. Uh, more and more people are finding that a helpful thing to do. Um, you can listen, you know, if, you, if you've got a device you can plug in, you can be out for a walk, you can be going along, uh, but, but keeping in touch with God's Word. Um, so, yeah, I commend that to you. This morning I'm going to pick up in this uh, series. Today's pretty much the last in the series. I'll maybe have another look at it next Sunday at our communion service. But we're going to be thinking this morning about the cross and life. I'm going to address two different areas um, where the cross makes a difference in life. It brings life, we're going to say the cross brings life to ministry, and then we're going to say that the cross brings life the start of what or to all of life. I want to start in a rather counterintuitive place and that is to talk about how the uh, the importance of, of death in all of this. All of life ends in death. We know that uh, death is the, the final statistic. Uh, 100% of people who are born uh, finally die. And this reality was brought home to me uh, just last weekend. I had been spending my days um, mostly by myself, working on planning for uh, the next year in the life of our church. So making plans for the future to see God bringing life in the year ahead. I'd spent the evenings at our holiday club with some of the youngest children in the church, just full of life. So many of them, um, I, I went home exhausted every night, but just, just so much life there. So it was a week where I was immersing myself in in life and yet the week ended with me doing what I often am called to do. I was here on a Saturday morning with a family uh, conducting a funeral service for one of our members who died. It seems or it seemed to me that no matter how much life that uh, we're blessed to have around us the, the reality of death is nearby, not far away. No matter how much life we're fortunate enough to experience, the truth is that in the end, all life ends with death and decay. It's built into the way this world works. If we create something, it eventually rots or rusts or decomposes and dies. If we give birth to new life, do so in the knowledge that, that our children and we ourselves will one day know decay and finally die. As I said a moment ago, we're going to think this morning about how the cross brings life. It brings life to ministry and into the whole of life. What do I mean when I say the cross gives life to ministry? Well, this passage 
uh, if you glance down with me, 2 Corinthians 4, this is what Paul is talking about in this, in this passage. He talks about death, and he talks about life, and he talks about, although he doesn't mention the cross, he, he's, he's alluding all the time to how the cross brings life to death. It's been a hard life, this, this following Jesus, this preaching. If you look at verse 8, Paul says, We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down. Struck down but not destroyed, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. If there's one thing that, that could undermine a person's faith, it's the experience of being a Christian. It's that experience of just trying to walk with God for weeks, months, that that walking with God is no walking apart. There's a, a great wee story I came across this week of Teresa of Avila. Teresa of Avila is a 16th century uh, mystic. Uh, she was on her way one time on a long, exhausting journey in a cart. She, she's in Spain somewhere. She's on her way on, on a journey, and the horse that's drawing the cart bolts. The cart's tipped up. She's dumped onto the road. And, you know, she's very revered, Teresa of Avila, but here's what they reckon she said. She said in that moment, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, I'm not surprised you don't have any. It's that idea that life with Jesus isn't always a walk in the park. It can be very difficult. There can be a lot of suffering, hardship, and sacrifice. Paul's experienced a lot of that, and he summarizes the, the almost physical extent of, of his physical suffering. Verse 16, he says, Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Paul's body is growing weaker through age, through exhaustion, not to mention all those physical things that he suffered, the beatings and the whippings. Yet inwardly, he says, there's something else at work. There's a new dynamic at work. Something that's making him younger instead of older. Something that's renewing him and not diminishing him. So somehow, as he carries around the death of Christ in his body, he's being renewed. And I love that. I love the realism of that. He says, I'm dying of death. This, this life I've been called to in Christ, this work I'm doing for his service, it's, it's like dying a slow death. But he's given me new life all the time in the midst of it. This life that Paul's talking about, it wasn't just welling up in Paul. It was welling up in the, the church's so he's able to describe how 
that inwardly we're being renewed day by day. He talks about the, the new life that's welling up in them. Look at verse 12. Death is at work in us, he says, but life is welling up in you or at work in you. Paul is pouring out his life. He spends his days tramping from town to town, from city to city. He spends hours in the ports, let's imagine, waiting for the next ship. Do you think the ship sailed to a timetable or sailed on time? No. He's spending his time at the roadside. He's, he's just pouring out his life for the next opportunity to, to share the gospel with a small community of people, to pray for their growth in Jesus. He's, he's spending himself on this. He's dying even as he lives. But all these struggles, he says, are paying off. They're bearing fruit as more and more people hear the gospel and through it come to new life. Folks, I, I'm going to say I don't know this passage very well. I don't think I've ever paid any attention to it. I've never preached Second Corinthians. But as I started to read it this week, it really spoke to me very powerfully. Because it helped me to understand what's going on in my life. And maybe it can do the same for you. You see, I identify with Paul at least some of the times whenever he talks about being hard-pressed, being perplexed, being persecuted, being struck down. I've found that, that gospel ministry is, is a costly business at times. In 2003, when Claire and I first came to this church, this wasn't like it is today, and it wasn't like anything we'd experienced before. Sunday worship at that point, I'll, I'll say this, I hope I don't get into trouble for saying it, it was far from inspiring. The, the wealth of community, the, the many relationships, the, the much friendship that people have found here in recent times, there was only a tiny, tiny amount of that on offer really here. So we knew that when we came to this church, we'd be dying any number of small deaths to see if, if the life of Christ might be born into this place. To, to see a, a new church grow or to see a, a small church regrown is the most exhausting type of work because nothing that a church needs is there yet. A lot of the stuff that is there needs to be changed substantially. So every every few weeks a new ministry needs to be born, new people need to be brought into leadership, new new just and then there's, then there's simply the number of people. To grow from being a tiny little community to where you're pastoring, I think I've said before there are around about seven hundred people of all ages on the books of this church. It's a difficult thing to pastor people who love what's going on in the church and, and want to be part of it because they need your time and, and your life. It's also a difficult thing to pastor the people who don't love the church and want to tell you how they don't love the church. That's a difficult thing too. So there's, there's just this sense of, of giving your life of pouring out your life in this kind of work that we do. 
I'm beginning to understand, and I don't think I would have got this ten years ago even, I'm beginning to understand what Paul says, we always carry around in our body the death of Christ. Beginning to get that. And by the way, if, if there's any sense in what I'm saying here that I, I sound like I'm feeling sorry for myself, or that I have any unique struggles, not at all. That's not, not where I'm coming from at all. Many of you who have joined with us and partnered, particularly in the phase where we were rebuilding this church, have served incredibly sacrificially at a time in your lives when you've carried very substantial other burdens. You've chosen to serve in the kingdom of God. You teach our children. You teach our young people. You visit our sick and our old. I'm thinking particularly of people like our elders and those who are leaders in charge of our organizations. You make substantial sacrifices in the Christ's service in this place. Listen now to this passage, would you, please? Hear it the way I did this week. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Outwardly, he says, Paul, we're fading away. But look at what he says about life. Verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For Paul, it's the death, it's the dying to self that brings the life. Verse 11. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Friends, I identify with Paul in that description of, of the death, of the dying. It might sound like a might not sound like a good thing to do, but I invite you to do that too. If, if you feel sometimes like this following Jesus, this serving him is, is killing me, it's taken more than I have, I'd ask you not to run away from that feeling, but to embrace it and to own it and to say yes. There's a sense in which that's actually but I'd ask you to to do what Paul does in this passage and to say that it's in this very dying start looking for the places where that outpouring of your life becomes the vehicle where God brings you life what is God doing through your sacrifice what's he doing through the sacrifice of other people to, to bring new life for God's Could I make a plea to everyone in the congregation as, as your pastor, somebody who's responsible for your soul care? Don't live a defensive life focused on your own comfort. Don't do it. It's the way to death. It closes you off from God's purposes for you. It closes you off from sacrificial, loving relationships with other people. I sometimes get this, this impression that those who don't commit to anything, those who don't 
don't commit, don't serve, that they think that they're very smart. They, you know, this they look around at, at others who are serving hard and working hard, and they say to themselves, I'll let them get on with it. I'm smarter than that. Folks, it might look like an attractive option momentarily. There are times for all of us, I think, when we wish we didn't carry some of the responsibilities that we carry. But in my experience, it's not the way to life. When I speak to the committed people and to the uncommitted people, it's the committed people who carry the burdens, who, who trust in God for energy that they don't have, who are the ones who find the renewal and the life in Him. We'll talk more about that just towards the end this morning when we look at some words of Jesus. If you want to experience the resurrection life of Jesus, then it's time to get off the sofa. It's time to commit to walking, serving, sacrificially with Him. Make the sacrifices He's calling you to for His I've talked there for a moment about the, the individual part of this. I've been honest about some of my own sense of this, but I've, I've said others here will, will know what Paul's talking about too. I think there is a, a corporate part of this, and, and you're going to hear us talking about it more in Kirkpatrick Memorial these days. You've heard us start to use this phrase about giving our life away. And I think sometimes people hear that phrase and they imagine that we we somehow are being cavalier and that we don't care about the life of our congregation. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's because we believe that the cross is the way to life. It's because we believe that it's only in, in giving of ourselves, in, in sacrificing in Christ's service, that the resurrection life of Christ truly comes to us. Whenever we give people and resources away, whether it's to Clarewood Community Church or to some other um, venture, we do it not believing that it will diminish our church, but rather that it will open the floodgates of God's blessing for more life. We've talked at length here about the first of these areas where the cross brings life. It brings life into ministry. But I want to talk for a second as we close about how the cross brings life into the whole of life. Can I show you another Bible passage, just a second passage for today? Uh, if you turn with me to Matthew 10. page, sorry, is 976. We're just at near the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 10. Just going to read a couple of verses there. 38 and 39. Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, anyone who doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Jesus seems to be saying that you can't become the person he wants you to be unless you die first. You die to who you are before, to all those dreams and aspirations that you have. You, you say, those are gone. Jesus, now take me to this, this new life. Graham Tomlin, whose book we've been using a bit in this series, he says, becoming a Christian is much more like dying and being reborn than it's like a slow, gradual improvement through strenuous moral effort. There can be no nego negotiation with the old self. It has to go. Will stop. And he goes on to say, it will of course rear its head over and over again, pleading to be allowed back, but it must be slapped down where it belongs until the day when it will finally be gone for good. This principle, I, w I want to finish by giving a few almost illustrations or places where this principle plays out. We're talking about how death is the way to life in the whole of life. It's true right across life. There are ways in which we have to die to a part of our life if we want to, to stay in a healthy relationship with our life. If we hold on to it, we lose it. But if we're willing to die to it, it's reborn and becomes a greater and a more beautiful thing. What, what am I talking about? We, we had a very interesting discussion uh, recently in the seminar I was leading at the, the recent Faith Academy. It was about parenting teenagers. And we talked about what happens as a parent and how things change. Whenever we have young children, there's a very gratifying relationship for us as parents that's established. They need us. We're mommy and daddy, and anytime they need anything, anytime anything goes wrong, they run to us because we're the answer. And that's a, a wonderful place to live for those few years. It's exhausting, it's perplexing, but there's something wonderful about it. But as our kids grow, particularly in their, their teen years, we need to let that relationship go. In that particular form. If we imagine that we can continue to be mummy and daddy in that particular way, then we're working with our children in a way that smothers them, in a way that stifles their growth, in a way that holds them from becoming the people that God intended them to be. But if we can do that, if we can allow it to die in the right way, then a new thing replaces it. The relationship's reborn in a new way. And it has the possibility of becoming a wonderful thing. A relationship between loving, respectful adults. So there's an example of where we need to die to a thing to see it find new life, to be reborn in the right way. What we're saying here in closing is that the cross and the way of the cross is dying to what what I want and what I need is the way that brings life and it brings life to all of life. Maybe it's our money. Maybe we still imagine that the best way to find contentment in life is to accumulate and to hoard and to keep it all to myself and create 
with whatever wealth I have, the perfect world. Maybe we still imagine that. But then we read Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, and we're beginning to doubt ourselves. Jesus' words have us one. Maybe we do need to give some of our money and our wealth away to God's service to those who we know to have less than ourselves. Maybe that's where life lies. Not in the hoarding and consuming, but in the giving and the blessing. Maybe it's our culture's obsession with with self-gratification. Me time. I haven't traced me time. I don't know when that phrase was coined. When that landed. It's pretty pervasive by now, isn't it? We imagine that life is found by under-committing to anyone and everything else so that there's plenty of me time left. We keep ourselves free to pursue our leisure, our interests, our self-gratification. And then we read Matthew chapter 10. And we start to wonder. Maybe we're supposed to use some of our time and our talents for God's glory. Maybe the gifts that God's given us weren't all for our own ends. Maybe that's not where life lies. Maybe keeping life to myself like this is the very thing that's that's slowly killing me off. The guys who signed up a couple of weeks ago, didn't we say there were 88 of them? Of all ages who signed up to, to be on a holiday Bible club team, or even the guys who helped last week with Refresh, People who rushed home from work, did without their tea, came to stand in a school pitch or travel around East Belfast with teenagers. Those people all died a small death to do that. They gave up their their night in front of the TV or whatever they normally do to come and to serve. And the interesting thing, in my conversations with them, I haven't yet met a person, and I probably won't because he wouldn't say this to the minister. I haven't yet met a person who said, I wish I hadn't bothered. I wish I'd stayed at home because TV's so much better. But I've met quite a number of people who said that was great. Great to be part of something. Great to be the place where God is at work. Great to be sharing the gospel with boys and girls, with teenage people. It took a small death to find that life. Andy Dufresne, Tim Robbins' character in the Shawshank Redemption, you know him, the prisoner in that grim place. One of his lines, I forgot that was his line until I googled it. One of his lines, when he's talking to the other prisoners about life in the Shawshank, he says, get busy living or get busy dying. His point is, you're doing one thing or the other. You're, you're always living or dying. Jesus Christ has a better line for us than I need to pray. He says, get busy living by dying.
clinging to all those tiny dreams, those paltry ideas of your own. And come, die to yourself that you might live to me. That the resurrection life that I have might find its home in you. Outwardly you'll be wasting away, but inwardly you'll be being renewed. Jesus talked about that life that he offers. He called it life to cross and life. Death is the way to life. This is the kind of crazy stuff that Jesus says. I wonder if you believe him. Father God, if we've understood you right in these words of first Paul and then Jesus, it seems that the only way to live life is to, to give away a lot of our own small views and small visions of life to receive from you. Lord, this is so different than everything that our culture tells us and sells us. If we're to grasp this, and if we're in any way to begin to act on it, we need you to come and do a miracle in our hearts. So that's what we want you to do. Come and make us people who are willing to die because our hunger to live is so great. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's sing, we'll maybe keep our seats just as we begin this song anyway. I will offer up my life in spirit and truth. It's number five.